Hello, this is Adrian Hendricks. And Jerry Hendricks with Say One More Now, Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There is no greater dishonor to God and human life than to reject His eternal salvation only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Today we will focus on the book of Jonah. The name Jonah means dove, hence the title Jonah, the Flight Risk. Who is Jonah? The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this about him starting at 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23-26. through 26. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria for forty-one years. He did that which was evil in God's sight. He didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the Lord, the God of Israel's word, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, Hefer. For God saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter for all, slave and free, and there was no helper for Israel. Little is known about Jonah. He was the son of Amittai, of Gath, Hefer. He was a prophet and servant of God. He predicted the restoration of the land of Israel to its ancient boundaries through the efforts of Jeroboam II. The prophet lived and labored either in the early part of the reign of Jeroboam from 790 to 750 BC or during the preceding generation. He may with great probability be placed at 800 to 780 BC. His early ministry must have made him popular in Israel, for he prophesied of victory and expansion of territory. His native village of Gath-Hefer was located in the territory of Zebulon, according to Joshua 19, verses 10 through 13. The third lot came up for the tribe of Zebulon, according to their families. The border of its inheritance extended to Sarid, then its boundary went up westward and on to Merilah and reached to Thabasheth and to the brook east of Jokneam. And it turned from Sered eastward to the border of Chislah-Tabar and went out to Dabarath and on up to Japhia. Then passed eastward to Gath-Hafer, Jonah's birthplace, and to Athkazan and went on to Remon, bending toward Nia. According to the book bearing his name, Jonah, the son of Amittai, received a command to preach to Nineveh, but he fled in the opposite direction to escape the task of proclaiming God's message to the great heathen city Nineveh. Jonah was arrested by a storm and at his own request hurled into the sea, swallowed by a great fish, and he remained alive in the belly of the fish for three days. On his release from the body of the fish, the command of God to go to Nineveh was renewed. This time, Jonah obeyed and announced the overthrow of the wicked city. When the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of the prophet Jonah, God repented of the evil he had threatened to bring upon them. Jonah was grieved that the oppressing city should be spared and waited in the vicinity to see what would be the final outcome. An intense patriot, Jonah wished for the destruction of the people that threatened to swallow up Israel. He thought that God was too merciful to the heathen oppressors of Nineveh. Through the lesson of the vine at chapter 4, Jonah was taught the value of the heathen in the sight of the Lord. 
Even while considered a minor prophet, Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah, the prophet, on three different occasions. First, at Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41, we read, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after his sign, but no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment with this generation and will condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold someone greater than Jonah is here. Also we see at Luke chapter 11 verses 29 through 32 when the multitudes were gathering together to him Jesus began to say this is an evil generation it seeks after a sign no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet for even as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites so will also the son of man be to this generation the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and will condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold one greater than Solomon is here the men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment with this generation and will condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold one greater than Jonah is here at Matthew 16 verse 4 Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and there would be no sign given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah he left them and departed Jesus mentioned Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish as parallel with his own approaching entombment for three days and cites the repentance of the Ninevites as a rebuke to the unbelieving men of his own generation. Our Lord thus speaks both of the physical miracle of the preservation of Jonah and the body of the fish and of the moral miracle of the repentance of the Ninevites. We start the book of Jonah as Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. Now God's word came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid its fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty storm on the sea, so that the ship was likely to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost parts of the ship, and he was lying down and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Maybe your God will notice us so that we won't perish. Likely the question on the mind of many is why would Jonah, a prophet of God, not want to go to Nineveh? After some research, I believe the reasons offered by GotQuestions.org provides the rationale. There are several possible reasons for Jonah's desire to see Nineveh destroyed. First, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, a ruthless and warlike people who were enemies of Israel. Nineveh's destruction would have been seen as a victory for Israel. Second, Jonah probably wanted to see Nineveh's downfall to satisfy his own sense of justice. 
After all, Nineveh deserved God's judgment. Third, God's withholding of judgment from Nineveh could have made Jonah's words appear illegitimate since he had predicted the city's destruction. The Ninevites were Gentiles, yet God still extended his salvation to them. In his goodness, God warned the Assyrians before sending judgment, giving them a chance to repent. God cares for people of every nation. He is by nature a savior. As Luke 15 reveals in the parables of the lost sheep, lost corn, lost son, God's heart is for the redemption of all who will come to him. In the parable of the lost sheep, we read, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming close to Jesus to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He told them this parable. Which of you men, if you had one hundred sheep and lost one of them, wouldn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that was lost until he found it? When he has found it, he carries it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that even so, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. The parable of the lost coin asks the question, What woman, if she had ten drachma coins, if she lost one drachma coin, wouldn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she found it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found a drachma which I had lost. Even so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner repenting. And Jesus' parable of the prodigal son begins. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of your property. He divided his livelihood between them. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all of this together and traveled into a far country. There he wasted his property with riotous living. When he had spent all of it, there arose a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He wanted to fill his belly with the husks that the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. But when he came to himself, he said, How many higher servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I'm dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your higher servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. As he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants to him and asked what was going on. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and healthy. 
But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and begged him. But he answered his father, Behold, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed a commandment of yours, but you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son came, who has devoured your living with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was appropriate to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Further, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 emphasizes God's call to take God's message of good news to all nations. But the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had sent them. When they saw him, they bowed down to him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Paul emphasizes at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, the importance of sharing the gospel with both Jews and non-Jews. For I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is revealed God's righteousness from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Third, God is concerned for those who have never heard the message of his salvation. The mention of more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left at Jonah chapter 4 verse 11 most likely refers to those who know nothing of spiritual truth. Concerning the things of God, they cannot tell up from down or right from left. God takes pity on the spiritual blindness of the pagan. God desires to extend his salvation to all who would repent and turn to him. Verses 7 through 17 of chapter 1 highlight Jonah being thrown into the sea, and he catches a great fish from the inside. They all said to each other, Come, let's cast lots that we may know who is responsible for this evil that is on us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they asked him, Tell us, please, for whose cause is this evil on us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? He said to them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea grew more and more stormy. He said to them, Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you, for I know that because of me this great storm is on you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get them back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Therefore they cried to the Lord and said, We beg you, Lord, we beg you, don't let us die for this man's life, and don't lay on us innocent blood, for you, the Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The focus of chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. He said, I called because of my affliction to the Lord. He answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. You heard my voice, for you threw me into the depths, in the heart of the seas. The flood was all around me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to the soul. The deep was around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth barred me in forever, yet have you brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came into you, into your holy temple. Those who regard lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah on the dry land. In chapter 3, Jonah agrees with God and goes to Nineveh, and the people of Nineveh repent. The Lord's word came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I give you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey across. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried out and said, In forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from their greatest even to their least. The news reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He made a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor animal, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let them be covered with sackcloth, both man and animal, and let them cry mightily to God. Yes, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows whether God will not turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster which he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, chapter 4 is where Jonah becomes angry because of the Lord's great compassion. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, wasn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I hurried to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and you relent of doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beg you, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made himself a booth, and sat under it in the shade, until he might see what would become of the city. The Lord prepared a vine and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. 
So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the vine. But God prepared a worm at dawn the next day, and it chewed on the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he fainted and requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the vine? He said, I am right to be angry even to death. The Lord said, You have been concerned for the vine for which you have not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Shouldn't I be concerned for Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much livestock? Bible teacher F.B. Mayer states that this chapter marks an era in the development of the outlook of the Hebrew people. Here, upon its repentance, a heathen city was pardoned. Clearly, Jehovah was the God, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles also. Jonah, however, had no pleasure in the revelation. He clung to the bitter narrowness of national prejudice, fearing that when his own people received tidings of Nineveh's repentance and deliverance, they would be encouraged in their obstinate refusal of God's law. How often God puts gores into our lives to refresh us with their exquisite greenery and to remind us of His thoughtful love. Our fretfulness and petulance are no barriers to His tender mercy. The withering of the gourd exhorted bitter reproaches from the prophet who would have beheld the destruction of Nineveh without a tear. He did not realize that to God, Nineveh was all and much more than the gourd was to him. Notice the extreme beauty of the concluding verse. The permanence of the city contrasted with the frailty of the gourd, the responsibility of God for Nineveh, which he had made to grow, the preciousness to him, not only of the mature, but of babes and cattle. The next time we are tempted to look down on other people, for any reason, let us quickly remember the true story of Jonah, the flight risk, who learned how much God cares for all of his creation. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-727. 0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, life is good. God gives life. God is good.